Good afternoon and welcome to my eco-activist radio show. So today I'm joined in the studio by Jing and Michael and um, we're going to talk about um, like um, and sort of environmental activism in terms of animal activism but also veganism and um, the Open Cages campaign and Tesco campaign. Um, so yeah, but before we get more into that and you surely want to know what it's all about, um, I'm going to ask my two guests to introduce themselves and um, yeah, thank you for all the listeners who started tuning in. Um, if you would like to, you can log into the Buzzbox and then you can also comment and add to the discussion, add your thoughts or any questions you might have. Um, but yes, go ahead. Hello, hi everybody, I'm Jing. Um, I am a second year studying psychology and philosophy here and I am one of the coordinators of the Open Cages group here together with Michael. Hello, I'm Michael. I'm the other coordinator for Open Cages here. I'm a fourth year economics student. Yeah, so exciting to have you. I've also recently joined Open Cages, so it's very exciting for um, anyone who's uh, tuned in for the first time. My name's Leah. I'm, also, I'm second year, I'm studying sustainable development and international relations. And yeah, I do quite a lot of uh, environmental activism around town and also veganism, so I'm really excited with the Open Cages campaign has really started getting going this year. And yeah, I'm excited for what's coming. So maybe we should inform our listeners what Open Cages is. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, so Open Cages is a nonprofit organization focused on improving animal welfare. So the main thing that we're trying to do is leverage volunteers and give them a opportunity in order to like help improve the welfare of animals in things like fur farms and things like factory farms. So Basically, for anybody who's, like, sitting there who's, like, I think that there's a problem here. I think that factory farms are incredibly, like, problematic. Then the idea is Open Cages sort of gives you an avenue by which you can try to improve the lives of those animals and fix that problem. Yeah. Uh, I found a mission statement from our website, which is, we through system, systematic and political progress, we campaign to achieve fundamental change for the animals. Animals must be both free from harm and respected as sentient beings. And uh, as a translation of that is that we um, advocate for uh, a future where animals are free and respected through main th mainly three kinds of avenues. We try to change laws. We influence retail standards, and we also advocate for the value of animals in society. So we try to change people's views. Yeah, how did how, do you know how it formed back in the day? Open Cages. How old is it? The charity. Open Cages was uh, first founded in Poland in 2012. Um, the story we heard was that our founder Debusha and her friends they started their own investigation in fur farms and. From there, um, they, they started the organization, and Open Cages was formed in the UK in 2018, so we're fairly new as an organization as, and as like Open Cages UK as well. Oh, wow, yeah. That's yeah. Exciting to be behind a very new campaign, very hopeful. So, um, yeah, um, do we want to maybe summarize, you know, explain what, what we do and how we sort of do campaigning? What sort of yeah, so there are a couple of main ways that Open Cages tries to focus on improving the lives of animals. Currently, one of the major tools that we're trying to use 
our corporate campaigns. So we've found, not just like we, but like animal charity evaluators have found that a surprisingly effective method for improving animal welfare is through corporate campaigns. So, for example, like in the United States, there's been an enormous amount of success getting companies like McDonald's, like Walmart, to go cage-free by simply like getting people to like pressure those organizations into improving the way that they treat their chickens. So one of the major things that Open Cages is doing right now is we're attempting to leverage um, that same sort of support for this thing called the European Chicken Commitment to improve the welfare of chickens and factory farms in businesses like Tesco. Mm. I think it'll be um, good maybe to also mention what you know Open Cages has already achieved because some quite impressive through like this corporate campaigning is already some quite impressive um, yeah things that we've achieved. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Open Cages at large. Um, like especially in Poland, has achieved a lot through corporate campaigning in terms of the cage-free initiative um, by getting a lot of like major retailers within Poland to um, stop adopting, like to stop buying cage um, like eggs from caged chickens. There was also a whole lot of um, a lot of success in getting retailers to stop uh, carrying fur through corporate campaigns as well, which was another one of the major Open Cages initiatives. Uh, Insofar as, like, the UK branch, we've had a lot of focus on specifically getting retailers to stop using fur, and we've had a whole lot of of success as well in getting people, um, like, consumers on board with no longer, like, shopping at stores uh, that buy fur, or at the very least, like, campaigning and pressuring companies into um like stopping like using those sort of products yeah um those are the ones that we've achieved and then even for the campaigns that we're currently working on so for example for our um stand with chickens campaign we have um got ikea to sign up to the better chicken commitment as well as um marks and spencers and we have we have been able to talk to many executives of different supermarkets, and uh, we've gathered lots of signatures uh, for from the public to convince them to change their policies. And for the other campaign, uh, where we use political lobbying to try to change laws in the UK to ban or ban import or sales of fur, we have been able to got lot of MP support. Uh, we have got the Labour party to commit to a ban and uh, we have um, media contacts, we have been able to run stories on BBC about the cruelty of fur farms and we have had many protests and yeah. Why do you think it's so, why has been um, this corporate campaigning, has been, why has it been so effective? What do you think? So there's a lot of discussion I feel like about that in the movement um, and I think a lot of the reason is that companies have to invest an enormous amount of resources into maintaining a positive public image. And so the moment that consumers start to be more concerned and start to like look more negatively on a company because they find out that they're doing things that fairly horribly exploit or abuse animals, um, that means that those companies are under all of a sudden an enormous amount of pressure to stop doing those things so that they can look a lot more progressive and so that they can maintain their reputation. Corporates have a lot of power in changing policies and 
say, for example, if Tesco changes their policies, that means millions of chickens' lives changed. Whereas if we don't put a focus on a particular company, rather we just sort of try to change it overall together, it's much harder and it's, it takes a lot more time to change the whole society um, like entirely. And when we run a corporate campaign, we put our attention on one company and they are in the spotlight, whereas we keep working to like convince them we keep we keep working until they change their policies. So that way they um, they sort of are put on the spot rather than having all the supermarkets sort of looking at each other and not doing anything like um, specifically. Um, yeah, um, what I also wanted to um, maybe highlight is that you know it's uh, it's quite it's it's quite a um, yeah it's quite a um, good initiative to try and. Uh, to, I, th I think it's quite it's quite effective, and if one spotlight is put onto a big company, that does, in some way, almost create some sort of norm. Because if you can say, "Oh, they've done it," what, and then you can approach a new company, and be like, "Why, why are, why are they not um, doing? Yep. Do, why are you not doing it as well?" Um, but yeah, maybe we should um, also summarize what is the uh, what the Better Chicken Agreement is, and what is the European better chicken agreement and why there's still companies who haven't committed to it and what are they saying why they're not committing to it yep um, the better chicken commitment also known as european chicken commitment is a set of standards set out agreed by 25 european slash global animal protection organizations and these are the list of the most pressing concerns related to boiler um, production so the commitment outlines that the company who uh, want to commit to it have to change their um, all this their suppliers no have to change all their production so that anything they sell have to be hundred percent compliant to a list of standards by 2026 and these include um, a maximum stocking density of 30 kilograms per square meter and having slow growing breeds um, other other points like improved environmental standards or uh, controlled atmospheric stunning or elect effect effective electrical stunning without live inversion and all of these have to be audited by third party um, and companies find them very difficult to comply because this these are very expensive for them when chickens have to grow slower they take more time and they can't produce as much. And uh, when chickens have to be not as crowded, they also can produce less and um, the costs go up. Um, so what we're doing is to convince them that the welfare concerns, the customers' concerns, and their moral responsibility is more important than their worries about the cost going up. Um, yeah, I think that kind of also raises a... Um the questions around, you know, why um, some people might be wondering, you know, why are we um, working towards having maybe better conditions? Why are we not working towards completely working towards animal um, liberation? Um, 
yeah, which is I think kind of moves us into almost the next topic about like the morale behind. You know, why why should we care about animal welfare? Welfare? Why is this a good step towards um, working towards ending animal cruelty and then also maybe moving into um, veganism? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know if we quickly want to address that before we um, or quickly want to address. You know, um, why is it that we um, moving towards saying open cages and not no cages? Um, and then I'll have a short um, music break um, after which we'll kind of move into the morale of um, animal welfare and um, veganism. So if you want to give that a go. Yeah, so I think there's two... I'll approach that on two levels, I guess. Yeah. One, um, there's sort of the macro approach for open cages, which is our ultimate goal absolutely is that animals are treated with the respect that any sentient being deserves. Um the flip side is that we're dedicated to improving animal welfare through the most efficient and the most effective means possible. So we have to take into account that, one, we have limited resources, and two, people aren't – basically, it isn't currently feasible for us to be able to abolish all of like the yeah. practices that we would like to see gone worldwide. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that in the short term, we – pretty much have to work towards incremental progress if we want to see progress at all. And I think that that is kind of disheartening to a lot of people, but I think it's like valuable to look at the successes that this approach has gained, which is that like cage-free like cage eggs um, are currently being phased out dramatically, which is like obviously not, um, you know, the end goal, but is an incredibly significant step just because of the immense amount of, like, stress and pain that those chickens are under, like, that is something that we can effectively say is gone now. And I think that's something to be extraordinarily excited about, and I think that's something to be very proud of. So for the European chicken commitment, it's obviously not ideal that we're still going to, like, have this system where we're routinely, like, raising animals just to be slaughtered. Um, but it is... We, we found that, like the most efficient way that we can like improve animal welfare right now and like push this cause forward is by ensuring that like a lot of these absolutely abhorrent practices that like people are ready to get rid of actually are removed from corporations. Yeah, I think I think that's also, you know, it's it's so sometimes people, you know, obviously when we want when you want to work towards something, often you want to like see it achieved immediately. But I think this approach of like taking it step by step is actually really effective in firstly getting people to see, you know, the way we treat animals is not right. And that that kind of needs to change the sort of like changing that perspective around it, but then also changing the norm around how animals are treated, you know. Um, and I think as a society having really challenging the norm that we're really mass raising and slaughtering animals so many animals every single like second um is already a step towards you know saying we want um you know we want more animal rights and sort of moving in that direction i think it's important i think it's actually the the, the path towards you know actually having people realize you know maybe what we're doing is not right at all yep. and um yeah i don't know yeah. if you want to add like I think for both people who work in animal welfare activism and both the public as well, being able to see uh, changes being brought onto animals' lives are extremely motivating for all of us. And 
um, it gives us a kind of momentum when we have achieved some success, we want to keep going. And um, this is something that we can, like the previous experience is also something that we can utilize. Once we have had that connection, once we have successfully run a campaign against the company, they will know that we have the power and the determination to bring about that changes. And in the future, when we want to come back to them saying, you know, this is not good enough either, and you should change that too, they know that we are a potent um, group to be, <laughs> to be reckoned with. And also, like, when we have, when we have um, made these changes to the industry, their industry are going to change in a way that's more, much more concerned with animal welfare. And um, mm. f the prices for chickens, meat, are going to increase. Yeah. And that means, um, that means, like, it will just be um, much harder for them to um, keep keeping these horrible conditions. And people will be more willing to consider animal welfare when they purchase something as well. Yeah. And they will realize that the kind of sacrifices that we make in terms of our moral um, choices are not worth yeah. the I think it also, consumption. Yeah, I think yeah. it also maybe challenges the norm, you know, that so many people have nowadays of having to like eat meat every single meal and sort of realizing, you know, that what, you know, because in the past that it was really a privilege eating meat and now it's sort of, if you don't have it, it's, it's seen as almost weird or as yeah. a, an extreme. And um, I think by sort of raising the standards, yes, it also raises the prices, but also really puts back into perspective that these are, you know, animalized and that these are, this is not normal thing to have every single, every single day and every yeah. single meal. And that it is kind of the extreme that humans are feeding off of animals is really also affecting our health. Um, so I think that's really a good pattern also towards shifting towards that realization almost yeah so okay so back we are and i think we're starting off with answering a question from the buzzbox which is um can regular people students get involved with these campaigns um yeah and to which we answer that of course you can you can contact and um, we posted the email address on uh, on the buzzbox which is um, st andrews at opencages.org and, um, but I think, yeah, maybe can we answer, like, obviously for students, you can look at, like, where your local groups, if there are any local groups or student groups to get involved in. We have one in St. Andrews, but then there's also other universities surely also have some, so just contact. And if they don't, go to the UK page and be like, hey, I have, a, at my university, there's no open cages yet. Let's open, um, let's start one. So definitely. Um, for regular people, do you know if um, other citizens, how they can get involved? Yeah, um, you can go on to our website. There's a sign up form for whoever wants to um, become part of us. And you can also just message us on our Facebook page, um, Open Cages. And we'll get back to you. Should add, if you're in St. Andrews, we're currently in the process of affiliating as a society. So if you would like to become a part of that, you can just reach out as well. Tell us that you want to be signed up and we can put you on that list. Yeah. So let's move into like sort of the morale. Why, you know, why should people care about animal welfare? And um, yeah, there may be a little bit about ourselves as well. Um, if 
how what kind of convinced what brought you to that sort of realization of uh, that you were against factory farming or that you um, want to eliminate animal products so, yeah. I think it's a fairly um, it's a fairly natural thing for us to feel the pain and joys of others and which mm. we can see as long as we actually look at the animals as animals rather than as food on the shelf um, in all my life I've, I've, I've only ever seen one person saying that I don't think anyone animals should have welfare or whatever um, rights they deserve um, it's 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 not mostly to me not a problem of people disagreeing that animals should be able to enjoy a life without lots of suffering um, but mostly that they they don't see the suffering because of the kind of social institutions we have and the kind of norms we've set up. Yeah, I think it's fairly intuitive, I guess, for most people. Like, I think most people who spend any time with, like, a cat or a dog would agree that, you know, they're entitled to not being, like, horribly abused, right? People are, on the whole, fairly supportive of things like, you know, laws against, like, dog abuse, um, and so I guess for me, at least it's just about making the next step of concluding that there's nothing significantly different between like all of these animals that I already accept are like similar enough to humans to like have basic rights. And there's no, like, there's no difference between like things like dogs and like animals like pigs. And so then once you start doing research and you find the, kind of conditions that like pigs cows and chickens are put in in factory farming i think it's a fairly um it's a fairly intuitive next step to say okay this is clearly a problem something has to be done about this yeah and we're not advocating for extremely um sphere kind of morality where we think animals should be treated the same treated the same way as we treat humans um but anyone should be able to see that when we have billions and billions of animals in farms, not being able to see the sunlight, not being able to live or move or walk or live healthily, that's definitely not something we want to do to animals. Yeah, I think what is also really important to realize that people in most cases just sometimes just don't know because as a society we so, animal products are so objectified that we don't see them as what they really are anymore because they're sort of packaged in a way that it, it you don't see an animal when you see it or at least it's uh, if you're not made aware of it you don't see an animal when you see meat or if you you don't like if you see milk you don't start to you don't think about the calf that now can't have that milk because of the mother that the, that the calf and mother separation you don't necessarily think about that um but then and then also because it happens behind closed walls, people don't realize, you know, the suffering of that that the animals have to go through. I don't know if any of you really have ever seen the um, screening of Dominion, of the movie Dominion, yes. the documentary. Um, because I think that is also, but there was a few other things. I think there's another screening on, or another documentary, um, Earthlings, which also quite well portrays, you know, these animals feel can feel and suffer 
probably in a very similar way that we humans can and that is just because it happens behind closed walls and it's not something that is usually talked about yeah. um, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. People who have not been sort of in this circle of animal welfare or haven't been like paying attention to the actual research or news stories, they're they're very much hidden from these truths. Like supermarkets would put on their products or put out videos and footage of chicken happily walking on grass, or they put they film them that very nicely in a very nice environment. But the truth is that mm -hmm. that's all very misleading. Um, for example, for the chickens that we're uh, trying to create change for, 79, sorry, 95% of them are reared in very intensive farming conditions of super crowded, um, like no natural environment for them. Um, but that's not the image that the companies are showing, and which is also why our, our um, like, Recently, we've uh, rebranded our, not rebranded, but like our th current theme for the sandwich chicken campaign is called Tesco Truth, to let them show that what is actually happening in their farms. Yeah, I think maybe that maybe brings us to you know the question when what did what made you realize you know suddenly that this is something you care about and that you didn't know about that you want to get involved in personal level so I guess I went a fairly boring route and that I it was um, it was really just a matter of attrition for me I guess in that I never immediately saw any sort of case for being super actively invested in vegetarianism and like certainly not veganism or anything and it was really just a matter of over time as I was like surrounded by and met more people who were vegetarian or were vegan, even though they never really talked about these issues to me, um, it did, like, raise a lot of questions in my mind, and that, like, just their presence made me want to, like, answer to myself, like, okay, what is my justification for, like, eating meat for, you know, consuming products that I know probably aren't raised super ethically? And so then for me, at least, it was just a matter of, like, I kind of sat down and over the course of three days, I, like, looked for any arguments that I could find to sort of justify my behavior and, like, solve the cognitive dissonance. And after a while, there just weren't any good arguments. So I gave up. <laughs> I became vegetarian. Live a very philosophical life. Um, I went through a fairly typical route, I think. A friend of mine um, told me about the conditions of animal, animal agriculture, and then we went vegetarian together uh, because at the time we didn't know very much about the eggs and dairy industry. Mm -hmm. And then um, some time later, another friend of mine uh, who was vegetarian at the time convinced me to go vegan together. So, um, yeah. Oh, it's Here a good thing to do together with someone, I think. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, sometimes because it's not not the norm yet. I mean, vegetarian has fairly, become fairly normal almost. Yeah. Um, but when you do it together with people, I think it makes quite a difference. Um, yeah, for me, um, mine is a little bit of a different route, actually. I, um, someone from my, uh, at my school at the uh, environment club, we had a club called Earth Matters, like a society, and she wanted us to um, screen the movie um, 
cowspiracy. Um, and she asked me, you know, are you like vegan in um, for for the environment or are you vegetarian? And at that point, I was fairly vegetarian, but like not really. You know, I like ha I had sort of from a health perspective, I knew oh, you shouldn't eat too much meat. But really, I was kind of totally disconnected from the fact, you know, from what actually animal agriculture does to our planet and to our body. I just didn't know. And then when I saw the documentary, I realized, you know, we have such a opportunity as an individual to actually make a difference by choosing just by choosing what is on our plate every single day and um, that kind of made me realize you know that I kind of from that onwards I definitely went vegetarian overnight and then I sort of wanted to become vegan but I literally had very little idea about like what do you even like eat and like at home like no one in my family is vegan I didn't have any friends who were vegan or anyone so I had literally had no idea and it was kind of a little bit like but like at the beginning I was like what can I eat so it like um took me a little time to kind of almost phase out everything which I but I did do it I was like um whenever I went somewhere where there was a vegan option or whenever I could I definitely chose like the the vegan um option I chose to eat vegan but like sometimes maybe when I was like traveling or some complications came up that I would um obviously yeah I was trying to like work towards being vegan and then within a few months I was um also think I think what really made the difference for me was realizing kind of dotting it all together like firstly yeah I had the environmental aspect and like the ethical aspect but then also really realizing like from a health perspective how much healthier it is actually to eat like a plant-based vegan yeah. diet and for me that was really a massive step in realizing you know this is not just good for the plant this is not just good because it's a moral you know from a moral perspective but it's actually also like good for like my own health and then I kind of realized um, yeah, I kind of that kind of really clicked, made the click for me, and then I just from then onwards, I was yeah, being vegan and yeah, I was just never yeah, I was just really happy, really grateful that it kind of came my way, and I can only say that it's transformed my life to the better, really. So. Yeah, I can relate to so much of that, and I've almost forgotten, but now I've remembered how like when I first started doing it, I can I can feel the happiness of being able to like make an impact. And then I think after joining Open Cages, there's another le another level of uh, feeling like I can do much more, even above that individual level of mm. impact. Yeah, I think yeah. veganism is really can be really powerful, like empowering as well. So you realize how much of a difference you can actually make, and yeah, not necessarily uh, by also just living, you know, sort of your yeah. truth also inspires other people. Exactly. So, and um, yeah, I got a qu we got a question on the bus box asking, what is uh, the favorite vegan place in St. Andrews? Um, I mean, I mostly uh, make, like, either cook, from, uh, cook my own food or eat in halls, which we do have vegan foods, luckily. But yeah. um, my favorite place would probably be, like, Zizi's has a really good vegan menu. Mm. So. Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we have one like entire place that is completely vegan here. Yeah. But like you can find vegan options in restaurants, definitely. Yeah, yeah there are quite a lot. Um, Doctor Noodles has some. <laughs> oh yeah, Doctor Noodles has yeah. things as well. Yeah. Love Doctor Noodles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think recently I discovered that. Uh, oh my god, was that um, coffee place on South Street? They've they've had a hummus uh, bagel thing with like lots of different ingredients in it. 
I don't know, but I'm just thinking of Cottage Kitchen. They have amazing vegan chocolate cake. I had that for my birthday last year. I had that for my birthday last year. (laughs) Really? Yes. Oh, my God. It was a surprise for my friends. Um, Dr. Noodles. (laughs) We have some love in the chat for Dr. Noodles. Oh, yeah, vegan, like, ZZ's have good vegan options. If you want, like, a proper, like, meal, like, for going out and sitting down, I think that's probably a really good option. But then in other restaurants, like, you can get, like, vegan, like, had a really good vegan wrap from Pret today, actually. Yeah. So you can get, oh, Combini Co. That is very, wow, good suggestions in the buzz box. Combini Co. has, um, also has vegan, I think, vegan sushi and quite some good options. Bowls, yeah. Bowls, yeah. um, there's this vegan pizza at Pizza Express, I think, yeah. one or more kinds. Yeah, they have a couple now. Yeah. Oh, wow. I haven't tried those yet, so I'm still new to it. I feel like it's very exciting, almost like whenever like some new vegan option comes out, I'm like, whew, I need to try it. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, what do you, like, just on a personal level, so, you know, what do you do when people, like, ask you about it? What do you, people like, ask you, like, why are you vegan or um, why are you not eating like meat because I know a lot of people have a lot of fear almost about like the social situation yeah. so maybe I don't know some advice on like what do you say to people what do you talk? I think uh, first thing is to um, pretty much show them all the benefits of what it is um, and tell them like how it doesn't have to be hard um, personally, I find it very enjoyable when I start being able to cook for myself and it doesn't feel like a limitation or a sacrifice that I have to make anymore and it's just, it's just something I really enjoy and that's definitely what I want to tell people that it's not a chore, it's not something you have to give up in a way. Mm. Um, and I would tell them um, that it doesn't have to be like all or nothing. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be something that they have to feel guilty for when they um, sometimes don't eat non-vegan food. And it's just something that you choose for your life, and it's not something that other people should make you feel like you have to do it this way or that way. And I would encourage people to do it in like whatever steps they would feel comfortable yeah. for. So, for example, they could do it a few days a week or for the weekend or like however much they feel comfortable mm. and then they can see um, how much they want to like how if they can push themselves to be more vegan and as vegan as possible yeah I think that's actually quite a really important thing to realize because what pe- puts might put pe- people off that they now feel that they have to go for it all at once whereas in actual fact is okay like to sometimes because it is a lifestyle change to realize that sometimes or it doesn't work out and sometimes you accidentally had something that's not vegan or there's no other option and you're really hungry and you didn't prepare and you know I think as a community also I think we really need to be very open to that you know that people you know people like make mistakes everyone moves their own pattern it's sort of about realizing that I think importantly I think it's also about realizing that you know we don't need meat every day is actually bad for our health and sort of realizing sort of cutting down on sort of certain things and moving you know sort of moving towards recognizing that um yeah yeah yeah. i guess also like in my experience like i do have like you know sort of the the throwaway lines i guess that you can throw when people ask why you're vegan um but 
so like in my experience, one, you, I kind of have to modify it based off of who I'm talking to. Yeah. I don't want to go all doom and gloom when I'm talking to grandma. Um, but then also what I've found is that sort of the most effective method is to get them talking as much as possible. And like the longer you have somebody else talking and like thinking these things through, um, I found that's like the most compelling argument you can make. And like, obviously you answer questions like, you know, you're like, yes, you can absolutely be healthy. You know, yes. Um, no, it, it, it isn't like terribly difficult. Like once you've adjusted, I guess, but for me, at least, the important thing is that people have this as a thing that they're thinking about because you're never going to convince somebody in, like, a conversation. The only thing that I think you can walk away for is hoping that, like, they've started asking the relevant questions yeah. and that they want to go and, like, start thinking about this themselves. Yeah, I think it's just about getting people to start thinking about it and knowing about it, you know? Because yeah. in the end, really, people, you need, everyone needs to make their own choices and think about it in their own way, realize why why they're doing certain things and why they're not doing certain things. And I think that's almost with anything in life. When you're doing something, especially like also campaigning and activism, you need to ask yourself, you know, why are you doing it? And why is something not working? Why is it working? And like, how can you know? Just really asking critical questions and realizing, you know, how, how can we create a change with that? So... Yeah, but before we um, move back to um, Open Cages campaigns, um, I'm going to play the next song as a short break by um, Sean Galloway called I Choose Love. So. Yeah, so I thought we'd um, tie the talk a little bit back into um, Open Cages because obviously we're it's not necessarily like a vegan group. We're just um, concerned about animal active, um, animal welfare and bringing about um, sort of changes within the system to try and work towards a um, more humane world, you know, more um, effective, you know, sort of and caring people, yeah, caring community really um, for animals and creating change. And what I really need to say as well as for from just joining Open Cages is that it's you such a supportive community and open and supportive community. So if you're looking for a campaign to make a difference and to really have a support group as well, to then I think come join us in Open Cages because it's really quite amazing to have so many people. You know that you have people behind you that um, who are also supporting, we're also sort of moving sort of in that same direction. But um, yeah, do you guys maybe also want to address um, you know why? What kind of how does how does that sort of activism that we do effective, and um, sort of you know addressing that? Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I guess one of the major questions that Open Cages is routinely asking is, um, is what we're currently doing effective? So we've currently talked about, or we've already talked about, um, like corporate campaigns and things like that, um, and I think. There, so there's like there's an ongoing question right in each of these campaigns of like why is this the campaign that we've chosen, and so I guess the thing that to me that is like exciting about Open Cages and the work that we're doing is that um, Open Cages specifically targets sort of high leverage uh, opportunities in that like we are, we are like currently running a corporate campaign because we know that's incredibly effective the fur free Britain campaign that we were running um, over the past year as well and that we've been running um, is 
something that we chose because the UK has already sort of banned fur and like would now be in a position to be able to ban the sale of fur. And so all of these are sort of taking advantage of sort of a climate that is already to like already ready yeah, to change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we can like just push that over the hump. Um just really quickly, I guess, to to respond, there yeah. are a couple of questions in the chat. Um like I would like to start with activism, but I'm not sure I have enough time. So one of the things that again is like nice about the open cages campaigns is that a lot of the value is just from getting a lot of people um to be like aware and just do like a couple of really quick things that can help the campaign a lot. So if you're somebody and you want to help, but you don't think you have any time to actually get involved in activism, um, you can go on our website and there's like a couple of like clear things you can do on social media that would help. So a lot of the time we have things like posts and stuff on Facebook that um, you can like. We often have like investigations that uh, will be like thrown around and if you can like show your support there if you like reach out and talk to other people if you reach out to tesco specifically that is an incredibly effective way of implementing change if you can like email them if you can call them especially and just be respectful but tell them look i understand that this is a problem it is frustrating to me as a consumer that you aren't taking any sort of steps to improve the welfare of your chickens I would like to see this change. That by itself, it takes you five minutes and it is such a help. And if you can get like other people that you know who feel the same way to also reach out, um, that is an incredible way of like doing a lot of change and putting a lot of pressure to, on Tesco in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I think that was quite inspiring because we did that this week. We um, sat together and then phoned um yeah. In turn, each phone Tesco, and obviously you're often going to get the standard answers that people on call like I don't know, just have there because they probably don't know how to respond to it either, and they're not in the position of power. But what they can do is they can log the complaint, and if they're realizing that throughout the UK loads of people are phoning, giving sort of a similar compa um, complaint, they're realizing oh my god, you know the community and our cons uh, our customers are really put are really concerned and this is something you know that that we're getting that we're just it's getting out of hand and um, i think that is can be so powerful so the more people we can now get out there to really actually email and phone um tesco i think that'll be great yeah many of the uh actions that our activists do can be very small it can be very big as well but um being part of the community and then you can just do daily things or come to um, our events, for for example, like the Action Social we did, where we do these things together, and it's not a lot of, um, it, it doesn't take a lot of time for you to be an activist with us. Yeah, so it's an inspiring opportunity with a loving community to make a difference in the world, so <laughs> join us. But yeah, no, I think it's it's also inspiring to look at how more open cages, I think, throughout Europe has really achieved as well, that, you know, the first Free Britain is really on its way, and that also in some countries there's already like fur is already quite is banned, and that is something that is not it's really phasing out of the norm. Yeah, and um, I think I think what is really inspiring is that we're looking at where we have an opportunity to create change. You know what is really realistic, and then trying to make that happen. So yeah, hopefully if you are go check out Open Cages and. Yeah, sign up to help a bit or write to Tesco or, yeah, email, phone, email. Um, 
but yeah. yeah. Just to throw in our obligatory plug one more time, um, if you do want to get involved, if you do want to help implement positive change for animals, you can email Andrews at opencages.org. You can, um, and that's St. Andrews without any dash, it's just S-T-A-N-D-R-E-W-S, um, you know, Andrew. Um, and you can also reach out on Facebook, you can go on the website. There are a lot of ways to get in contact with us. If you would like to be a part of the Open Cages Society, you know, just reach out, we can get you logged in. Yeah, and we have uh, events every Wednesday afternoon. In St. Andrews, yeah. Yeah, in St. Andrews, yes. So that's exciting. Thank you very much for um, to Jing and Michael for joining me today. Thank you for everyone who, who's tuning in and especially those who've logged in as well and written comments in the buzz box. It's always so much fun to have some sort of interaction as well and comments and questions. Um, so yeah, that has been great. I will be, um, what I'll be doing is I'll um, take the um, podcast editing and I'll also um, edit it and we'll put it up on um, Anchor which is a um, podcasting site um, so we'll be able to distribute it and maybe you can show it to someone who's interested in the campaign who wants to know more about it as well then um, and that's on at Eco Activist Journeys I'll be posting on my um, yeah on the um, radio show Facebook page if you want to check it out and uh, yeah so thank you very much again for everyone who tuned in um, get involved in helping to solve um yeah, getting to better the, um, um, yeah, getting involved in animal activism and bettering the condition, living conditions of those we share this planet with. And yeah, thank you so much for inviting us <laughs> to your show, and we'll it's keep the great. conversation and the action going. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, the last song that I'm going to play is po- it's probably not a popular song. I don't know how many people know it, but it's um it's a vegan song. I think it was um written and sung by a vegan. And it's sort of names. I will be their voice, so sort of being a voice for the animals. And that's, I thought that'd be an appropriate song to end the show on. So, yes, thank you very much for everyone tuning in. Um, Just a short note for next week's show is I I will be going to uh, sustainable on next Saturday. I'll be going to a sustainability action forum in Edinburgh. So I won't be able to do a live show. Um, on Star, unfortunately, but what I will do is I will post a pod. I will do a podcast recording on a topic, and I will post it on my p- Facebook page as well, so you can check that out. Um, so I hope you have a great week, and uh, um, yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. <laughs>